for us today, Father. May we be able to put aside the things that are wearing and troubling in our lives and just bask in your glory and your grace. Thank you that you're there for us when we need you. Thank you that you gave your all to us. could too, right? You'd be good. Somebody did the other day, and it was good to have them in both services. So, glad you're here. It's good to be a part of it. If you got a sermon outline, it's in your bulletin. I'd encourage you to take it out. Take notes. We know that that helps you uh, to remember things that are important and valuable, and to write things, write down things that will stand out for you. Um, I'll be asking you to read some of the verses with me today. They'll be up on the screen, so make it easy for you in that. So uh, thank you so much. We've been talking about 40 days of focus. Uh, you can call it land. You can call it whatever you want to do. But we're taking this time to be able to focus on Jesus Christ, to look forward to Resurrection Sunday when we celebrate his death, burial, and resurrection on our behalf. Of course, we do that each day. We should do that each day, and every Sunday especially, right, as we remember what he's done for us. But we want to be prepared for when April 9th comes. But let's see what God wants to do very specifically in our hearts. And to be able to do that, the best way to do that is to take this time and to focus in on Him and what He's done for us and His incredible grace is extended to us. Last week, we talked about this, that this time of 40 days of focus is a time of prayer. It's a time of fasting or sacrifice. It's a time of giving. So I hope as I gave some illustrations last week of some things I'm working on in the area of prayer, some things I'm working on in the area of fasting and sacrifice, it's still not any easier to go to a restaurant and still not get a soft drink, okay? I didn't, didn't work any better this week, you know. I don't know about you, whatever it is, but, uh, you know, that, that chipotle tastes better with a root beer than it does with water. But I'm trying to say, Lord, I'm trying to remember what you've done for me. It's a small thing, but I'm seeking to remember the sacrifice that you made for me. This is a small way for me to try to remember what you've done for me. And then I talked about the book Unoffendable last week in the area of giving. And I do have to say, I did a better job this week of not being offended by people driving 85 miles an hour past me and saying something. Man, they're going really fast. I even, there were about three or four times I didn't even say anything. I can't say I thought about saying something, but I, I, you know, I'm just trying to learn to be less offended about things that really don't matter. To be able to let things go by, water off a duck's back, something like say something like that, right? Just to be able to let it go. So I encourage you this time of prayer, this time of fasting or sacrifice, this time of giving. What can you do? What is the Lord saying to you? that you can take these things and you can multiply them in your life. You can grow in your life so that Jesus is lifted high and you experience him in new ways this day. We've been talking and going through the Easter Code book. Again, there's some books left out there. 
And we're going through today, we're going to look at, what, days 16 and through 21, being a part of what we read last week. I'm going to talk about it this, this week. What we read you know, Monday through Saturday, I'm going to talk about that next Sunday. So grab on to it. If you have to do what I do, I had to put the dates on there, 323, 324, so I make sure I read the right one on the right day, all right? Whatever it takes, encourage you to do that, get into it, and then I'll bring some thoughts from the book and from other things that are there. So uh, last week I encouraged you to do this as we looked at 1 through 15. We got to get kind of caught up since I was gone for a little while. Now I ask you to think, what's one thing the Lord impressed on your heart that you were to work on? that one thing. <laughs> That's why you write it down. So it's right there. You put in your Bible so you can see it. Put in my post-it note. This is the one thing I want to work on with these code words that are there. I'm asking you to do the same thing today. It should be maybe a little bit easier just because we're going to cover six days instead of 15 like we did last week or 16 days we covered. So think about that. What is it that the Lord's going to give you today? That one thing that he wants you to work on as we go through these days that are found in this book. Alright? So, on Monday, last Monday, the code word was friend. And he used this great verse from John chapter 15, verse 13. Help me out. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Help me out. <laughs> Greater love has no one I can hear you say it a lot better if I'm not talking. Right. What a great, what a great thought. And that's what Jesus did for us. Of course, we weren't his friends, to be honest. We're estranged from him, running from him. No one seeks to do good, Romans 3 says. None of us. And yet he said, I'll give my life for you. I'll lay down my life for you. Even where you're at. What a beautiful beautiful, beautiful thought. And as Mr. Hawkins, Dr. Hawkins goes through and he leads us, he says this, he reminds us that freedom is never free. It always comes at a cost. And he gives illustrations from history about that. That the cost of freedom, the cost that we have to be free today in our own country has been costly. Those men and women that have given their lives for that to protect us and to be able to keep our freedoms has been very costly. Think about this. Jesus, as you think about the people that he related to, you know, they really loved him a lot when he was doing things for them, when he was healing them, when he was feeding the 5,000, when he was feeding the 4,000, when he was changing their life. They loved him a lot, but they really didn't love him for who he was. Obviously, they put him on a cross. They crucified him. Now, that was a group of people, of course. But the fact is, as long as he's doing what they wanted, man, we like you. You are awesome. But now you're asking us to give our lives and to sacrifice our lives and to, to follow you with our all. And, I, you know, I don't know about the end of John chapter 6. He gave that message about who he was and what he's doing got to participate in me. you got to be a part of me. And so many disciples left him. And he said to the disciples left, are you, are you leaving too? Peter comes back and says, where else are we going to go? You're the Holy One of Israel. we 
got to stick with you. You got it right, Peter. You got it right. No greater love has any man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. Author says this We have enjoyed these spiritual privileges that come by having a relationship with Jesus Christ. I wrote down some of them like his grace, his mercy, his righteousness, his justification. What else? You got to talk loud. I'm getting old. Peace. I think that's what you said. Yes, thank you. The blessings that we have, the privileges that we have as believers in Christ, as children of God, we need to remember they came at a great cost. They're handed out freely, but they cost Jesus his life. He gave his all so we could have these privileges. I love this verse in 1 John 3.16. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. You guys know any other good John 3? <laughs> gave that one away. You know any other good John 3.16 verses, right? <laughs> For God so loved the world, right, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. Two really good 316 verses. This is We get the 316 from John, but I've never memorized this. But by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. We could probably have that verse memorized by the time we finish today. Write it down a couple times on your little piece of paper. That is so good. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. Beautiful, beautiful, with this aspect of friendships to us. That was day one. That was day Monday for us last week, talking about his friendship because what he has done for us brings us into relationship with him. He says in John 15, I call you now my friends, right? Because we have this relationship, we're children of God, John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We have this relationship. We're friends with him. And he says his friends obey him because we had this relationship. We want to do what he would do. WWJD, what would Jesus do? We want to do that because we have this friendship with one another. Tuesday we talked about the code word was thumb. Again, we're preparing ourselves. We're thinking through what Jesus did for us as he's getting going to the cross in this time of going to the cross for us in these 40 days. He talks about, he quotes Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, where it says, In the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son. In the fullness of time, communicates this, that at the right time, when the time was right, when it was appropriate, in all his planning and everything that he had for us, in the fullness of that time, when it was the time for Jesus to come, he sent him, the Father sent him, and gave him this opportunity to come to the earth and to be our sin bearer. And Jesus came, and he had this opportunity to come, and you know what he did? He said, I'll go willingly. I will go. I see it as a privilege to be able to do this, to become the sin bearer. God sends him as a sin bearer, and he becomes the sin bearer for our sin. In the fullness of time, 
Jesus wasn't just an afterthought. Oh, my goodness, man. Time's going on. I don't know if these people can get saved or not. I think they need somebody to go to the earth and to, to be the Savior for them. Hey, Jesus, uh, maybe in a you know, thousand years you want to go? Well, 500 years now, you, you're getting more ready. No, he wasn't an afterthought. This was in his plan. He knew this was going to take place. And in that right time, the appropriate time, Jesus came and he gave his life and became our sin bearer for us to bear our sin so that through him we could have forgiveness of our own sins. Now, God proved his love for us. He demonstrated it. He, he could have done this. He could have just put it across the sky and said, I love you. Is that good enough? <laughs> yeah, some of you remember that. You know, Okay, good job. I love you. Yeah, but Jesus could have done that. But no, he said, no, I need to become flesh. I need to come and be a part of their lives. To give my life there for them to be the sin bearer. So he demonstrated it. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. What does it say? But God demonstrated his love toward us in this. And then while we were yet sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to clean up. He didn't wait for any of you to clean up before you came to Christ. He said, you can go ahead and come. I'll clean you up. I can take care of you. I'm big enough to handle that for you. And every one of us came just as we were. Or just as I am, as we sing that famous invitation. We all came that way. Just as we are. And he said, you know what? That's good enough for me. Thank you for coming. I want to place my righteousness in your spiritual account. I want to change you. I want to be a part of your life. I have this opportunity as you've come to me and you come in, in your humility toward us. Father, thank you so much. He talks about in this passage, he says that every thumbprint is distinct. It is unique. And in that, it, it identifies us. And he says as he thinks about what God has for us, as we come to Jesus Christ and we come into this relationship and we become friends with him, we become children of God, we now have an identity with him. We're part of his family. And therefore, since we have that identity, we should live that way. That should be what characterizes us because we are now part of his family, the family of God. He says this, Lord, if you love me even in the moments when I am so unlovely. Help me to love those around me as you love me. Oh, boy. Sometimes that's hard, isn't it? Sometimes it's hard to love those people around us as, as Jesus has loved us and cared for us and demonstrated his love toward us. We are so thankful that he is patient with us and kind with us and gracious with us. And then he says, that's how I want you to be with other people. You have my identity. This is how I treated people. This is how I loved on people. And I cared for them. I want you to do the same thing to those people around you. Start in your family, in your home, with those people that are, you're close to. Then stretch out to the family of God. Then stretch out to those people that are out there that don't know Jesus, that need to be a part of the family of God, that aren't a part of the family of God yet, 
like your ones, those people you're praying for, you're caring for, you're sharing Jesus with them so that they might come to know Jesus Christ. I prayed for all of yours this morning, the ones you gave me over the past few weeks. You know, pray through that list for the people that you love and you care for that we would have opportunity to help them find Jesus Christ and for them to find their identity in Jesus Christ. Remember, we're, we're talking about this, this journey of Jesus leading us to the cross during these 40 days. There's this thought of, he goes into the next chapter, he, he talks about the next day, he talks about Golgotha. There's a picture of it today. The place of the skull. Can you see the skull in there? Right in the middle? The eyes. The place of the skull, Calvary where Christ was crucified on our behalf. We have Lee and Mar Marla Merkel are over in Israel right now on a tour. Maybe today they're even looking at Calvary and the, the garden tomb is just below that. Get a chance to go. It's well worth the, the effort and the money to be able to go and be there. I had the opportunity in 1996 to, to go to Israel and be a part of that. He talks, he tells a story, Dr. Hawkins tells a story about R.G. Lee famous preacher back in the Tennessee area many years ago, like in the 40s and the 50s. And as he was visiting uh, on a tour to Israel, as he got to Golgotha, he, he ran on ahead in front of the, the, um, the tour group, and he got to his knees, and, and as he was there, tears are streaming down his face. And somebody walks up to him and says, Dr. Lee, I, I see that you have been here before. It's so moving to you that you've been here before. And, and he said, no. And then he thought quickly, he said, yes, I've been here. I was here 2,000 years ago when Jesus died. He was there for me, and I, my sin was upon him. I was at the cross. You see, when we looked at it, as the people looked at it, they saw Jesus and the two thieves that on each side. But as God saw the cross, he saw the people of the world. Jesus was dying for you and for me. For all the people that are around you and your family members. The people that you know, the sphere of influence you have. That, that when God looked at that cross, he could see in these people the, the sin that Jesus bore for us. And he cared for us and was a part of, of our lives. As we think about that in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. That incredible verse that, that many of you have memorized and been a part of your lives. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I've been crucified with Christ. I was there. I was there with Jesus. He was dying for me, in a sense. I was figurative. I was there. And now he lives in me. He lives in you that know Jesus Christ is a part of of your life. And now I live in the flesh, the life I live in the flesh, I now live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. You see, the, the Christian life, as you know, is a, it's an exchange life. We give our lives to him, and he gives us a new life. We give our lives to him, and he exchanges it and gives us his life. As undeserving as we are, that's what he has for us. And with that, we say, thank you. Amen. Thank you, Lord for what you have done for me in your death, in your burial, in your resurrection. Because I was there on the cross with you. 
My sin was placed upon you at that time. He talks about in this, this chapter, his code word is logo. You can see it up there. I was thinking about that. I, I have to be honest. Today, God did something for me, and I wasn't even thinking about the logo. But he talks about logos tell something about us, right? They might tell us what brand we like or where we've been. Today, didn't even think about it this morning when I put on this shirt. It says, Hi, Juan Country Club on it. Wasn't even thinking about that, of wearing a logo, you know. But I put it on, Haiwan Country Club, a one that's our team got third place in Denver Seminary Tournament many years ago. Only time we've ever placed. <laughs> you get, they give you $50 or $75 because you win, and you go into the pro shop, and you look, and you find something to buy that costs about $50 because that's about everything's, you know, the price is raised really, really high. And when you're a small guy like me, if you can find something that fits, it's a miracle. And I just happened to find a really nice shirt for about $50 that I could buy. Didn't even think about that logo, but it's one of my favorite country clubs. Caddy five, six times in the Colorado Open, walking up and down those hills. I'm Todd, if you've been to Haiwan, and it's, I mean, there's there's one hole you could ski down one side, and then you got to, you can ski down the other side. And then you go flat, and then you ski down that, and you can ski down that side. It's really hilly. But a favorite place for me, and it, logo represents something that is important and valuable to me in, in my career, but also just in, in winning. But we do that in the logos that we have. They represent it. They tell something about us. And we have this logo that, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ, that we're the family of God, and we have this identity with Him, and we have the opportunity to be a part of His life. Many years ago, I Long, long ago, in a faraway place, rough, rugged timbers were raised to the sky. There hung a man, suspended in space, and though he was blameless, they left him to die. Just to think of the cross moves me now. The nails in his hand, his bleeding brow. To think of the cross moves me now. It should have been me. It should have been me. Instead, I am free. I am free. I am free. said, I'll take Scott's sin, and I'll take your sin, and I'll take your sin, and I'll take your sin, and I will bear it. And now we are free. Our logo is Jesus. We represent him. Our identity is Jesus for what he has done for us. So when you look at a logo, you think about the things that you have, the author says, Look at those things and help them to recognize the, the privilege you have to be identified with Jesus Christ. Undeserving as we are in what he's done for us, he has made it possible for us to have this identity with him and to be in life with him. I have been crucified with Christ. 
It is not I who live, but I live through Jesus Christ and what he has done for me. Roger Samuels gave me this bottom part three or four years ago. I loved what it is. It's salt. See as Jesus sees. Act as Jesus acts. Love as Jesus loves. And talk as Jesus talks. We're to be the salt of the earth. A good way to remember it in this simple way there to see and act and to love and talk. That's our identity. That's how we should live. We know that. We're not perfect. We understand that. But that should be our goal. That should be what moves us. That we want to represent Jesus Christ so well because we are identified with Him and all He has done for us. Thursday, the code word was temperature. I thought it was very appropriate for that day. <laughs> that snow came in, it was blowing like crazy. You couldn't even drive down Highway 50, I'm sure, and be able to get to where you're going. You know, and, and it wasn't even tumbleweeds coming across the road. <laughs> but he talks about this. He said, leadership is, can be described by different words by different symbols, punctuation marks. He talks about the period, and he talks about leadership sometimes is defined by a period where somebody says, do this, don't do this, period. Straightforward. He talks about also that the exclamation point can determine leadership and leaders that we've had in part of our lives who are enthusiastic, who are optimists, who have expectations for us, and it's kind of characterized by their lives and an exclamation point. And then he says, but really, the, the, he says that the, the punctuation mark that I think best describes how we should live is the question mark because it has a, a little bit of a bow of humility in it. I never thought about that. As it's put together, it's got a little bit of a bow to it. And that's what characterizes us. And it characterizes us believers in Christ, this, this humility before others, to, to bow before Him, but also to serve others. We're not just leaders, but we're servant leaders as we go through life and care for people and be a part of their lives in this position of, of respect and honor and being involved in people's lives. And he talks about, he puts it this way, and he's talking about the question mark. He says that Jesus asked lots of questions. That's a great study for you to go through, looking at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to circle all the places where he's asking questions. He says that there's over 100 questions that Jesus asks. I have a book on my shelves, and I should have brought it this morning, but I forgot. At least I put a logo shirt on, right? If he, Ed Nettleton, who's a former pastor, um, pastor who lives up in Lake City now where we vacation, uh, he's written a book on that. Um, the book's called Why You Were Searching, Why Were You Searching for Me? And he says there's about 133 questions that Jesus asked. And this book details every one of those questions. Very, very good book. Very well done. Just about a page on each question. But well done. But Jesus was a master at that, of asking questions. In humility, coming back to people. He could have used the period all the time. Hey, stupid. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> Go this way. But what did he usually do? As they're, as they're dialoguing, as they're being a part of each other's lives, he would ask these questions to help them to lead to discovery so that they would, he could find out about their heart. Well, he knew about their heart, of course. 
but he's helping them to find out about their heart as he would ask these questions. Why were you searching for me? Let's use that one. Why were you searching for me? Well, because I wanted to get healed. Well, because I wanted to know the truth. The reasons come out. The motivation comes out as those questions are asked. And that pictures what we have, this, this sense of helping people to discover in humility this relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. One of those questions that was asked is in, in Matthew chapter 16, he asked that question as he's with the disciples. He's been with all, all these other people. He's been a part of their lives. And then he comes and he says to them, who do you say I am? have a little bit of fun with y'all. Y'all remember Yemi? We need a revival. Who, who do you say I am? Do you remember Yemi? He's from Africa and he studied and he came and did a revival and that, that's how he put it. I'm not trying to make fun of him, just that's how I did. Who do you say I am? <laughs> we had so much fun with that. And that's what happened. They say, oh, he's Elijah. He's John the Baptist. No, he's saying, who do you say I am? Hawkins points out as doing his little Greek work in the Greek, Greek language. He says it's emphatic. It's like you is at the beginning of that question. He wants to know from them, you, not everybody else. I want to know, who do you think I am? And what does Peter say? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Who do you say he is? Repeat with me. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's who he is. And Peter got it right. We're so glad that he did. Others were not getting it right. They weren't understanding who he was. And he says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That, and Jesus, I'm sure he's got a big smile on his face. You got it right, Peter. I like it when you get things right. That's the truth of who I am and what I've done and what I'm going to do for you and be a part of your life. He's talking about, is he talking about temperatures? He uses that. He says this. He says in the book, he says, scientific truth is very narrow. Maybe you experience it on Thursday. When it gets to 32 degrees, things freeze. Water freezes on your windshield. Right? And so you got to go out there. You got to get your scraper out there. You scrape it off. You drive down the road about a minute. It's back on there again. It's on your windshield wipers. Because that truth is true. At 32 degrees, water is going to freeze. And it's going to freeze on your windshield. And it's going to freeze on the streets. If I drive. Paul's car, my father-in-law's car. It's one of those newer cars. You know, it gets to be about, uh, you know, 36, 37, 35. This little ding comes on and it says, roads could be icy. <laughs> Good little reminder. Uh, the temperature's going down. They could be icy. My 2004 Toyota 4Runner doesn't have that on it. <laughs> you just got to figure it out yourself, right? But the temperature, that truth is narrow. Always. Two plus two equals. Okay, just checking to see if you're with me, right? Two plus two. It's narrow. And he says there, he says, so it's it, it's also 
that theological truth is narrow. The theological truth, help me out. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's narrow, but it's truth. And if, and if it's not true, Jesus is the biggest liar ever. Because he made that statement. The Son of God. He shouldn't have been on the cross. He was an imposter. He was a fake. In that passage, he's talking about heaven. If we can't believe that he's the way, the truth, and life, then we can't believe there's a heaven either. Because theological truth is narrow, too. This is who Jesus is. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. There's nobody else. You're not just a great teacher. Other people thought that. He was a great teacher, but that's not why he came. He came to give his life to be the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. And to give his life for us so that we could have a relationship with the Father in heaven. Friday uses the code word newspaper. How many of you still take the newspaper? All three of us. All right. Well, if you don't take the newspaper now, it really costs a lot of money, too. It is amazing how much it costs. So it might be a good idea. But you can get your news all sorts of different places. But he says it with there, the newspaper, or he says if you get it in other places. Okay, he's trying to help us understand this sense of what does the news say around us? What's going on around us? Maybe it's Fox News you listen to or, or some other report that you get it from or you get it on your phone. You get it on your tablet, or you listen to it on the radio, however it is. But he talks about in the news and what's communicated to us, that there's good news and there's bad news. One of the illustrations he used has been used many times before. He says, well, there's a church that's in debt. They've built a building, and they need to get out of debt. And he says, the pastor says to the congregation, he says, the good news is that we have the money to be able to pay off this debt. The bad news is it's still in your pockets, and you need to give it. <laughs> well, you did. The body did. For all those years, from 2009 to 2019, you gave out of your pocket. You gave what God had given you so we could get out of debt. $1,354,832. Okay. You were faithful to be able to pay that every month. Three to five thousand to seven thousand dollars extra came in to pay off that principal, so we could be out of debt. Thank you, thank you so much for that. We so thankful that's not hanging over our head anymore. But we got good news then, good news in what God has done for us, and we know that there's good news and bad news. It's in Scripture. Romans chapter six. Bad news. What? For the wages of sin is death. That's bad news. That's bad news. Yes, physical death, but also spiritual death. If we've not invited Christ to be a part of our lives, we will not be with Him for eternity. That is bad news. There's good news. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's where you are. This is the difficulties. This is what you would face without the good news. 
in our sin, we would not be able to have eternity with God. But Jesus came. He gave his life. He became the sin bearer for us so that the bad news could be eradicated, could be put away so that we could experience this good news for the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, if you're still overhearing bad news, you need to get a part of good news because it's right for you. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior today, this news is for you. This is the good news, what Jesus Christ has done for us, for all of us, that we could have a relationship with the Father. We could have eternal life someday when our last breath is taken. And we don't know when that is. The only breath you can be guaranteed is the one you just took. Make sure you know Jesus is your Savior. Don't wait. Don't hope. Don't guess. You can know for certain Jesus is a part of your life by inviting him to be in your life. God, I need your forgiveness. You love me. You demonstrated it by your death on the cross. And I need to be forgiven of my sin because I can't forgive my sin. My good works are not going to get me there. You can't get good works to get you to heaven. You've got to have God's good work through Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. Invite him and say, God, come into my life. I need you. I'm turning from my sin. I'm turning towards you because you are the one that I want to follow. You're the one that gave your life and made it possible to have this relationship. Don't miss that opportunity to make eternity. Invite him to be a part of your life. Share that with us. We want to rejoice with you that that's a decision that you're making today. You know, you think about good news, bad news. It happened 220, you know, however, 223 years ago, 2,223 years ago or so. It was a Friday, and it was Bad News Friday. That's right. There's some good news coming, right? (laughs) Friday, Friday, Friday was a bad day. Sundays are coming, and that's the good news. The bad news, the good news, as we work through that. All of life has a little bit of that. There's this bad news. There's those difficult times. There's that good news, what Jesus Christ especially has done for you. And he gives this prayer as he goes through this. Lord, no one has ever given me a gift as expressive and expensive as the gift you gave to me in Christ. Oh, it was costly for Jesus. It was expensive for him, and yet he gave us his life. And Saturday, yesterday, if you read Saturday, he talks about return. That's the code word for that day. He talks about the story in Luke chapter 17, that the lepers come, and the lepers are there, they're crying out, Son of David, come and heal us. And he heals them. He says, go to the priest, and you'll be healed. Those ten lepers go to the priest, but only one comes back in thankfulness. Only one returns in thankfulness and says to him, I'm grateful by his presence. He says, I'm grateful for what you've done for me. He says, they all have things to go to. I mean, you can imagine they've been isolated all these years. They've been outcasts. They've been unclean. And all of a sudden, they're healed. You know the first thing they want to do is go back to their family and get with their friends and go, let's throw a party. I can be with you now. But one of them said, I got one thing more important than that. I got to go back to the Lord in prayer. I need to return to him. I need to say to him, thank you for all that you've done morning. 
done so much for us. And yet we have a tendency just to get up, go do the things we need to do, and they're good things. We need them. You know, but maybe he just, I don't know, sits in heaven and just waits for us to express the spirit of God. Shall we turn to him and say, thank you, Lord, for all that you have done. I'll give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His mercy endures forever. finish out now. We've got a few more minutes. We had the opportunity to go visit the Space Center, Kennedy Space Center. I mentioned that to you, coming back from vacation. Um, it was a great visit. Learned a lot. Very, very valuable to be a part of. And I was thinking about that as finishing up my sermon today. I was thinking about things that we learned there and that we grew in and that you, you probably knew in your life. Back in the early 60s, there was a Cold War going between the Soviet Union and the United States. And as you know, the Soviet Union, Russia, they sent the first astronaut up into space. And that kind of jarred us. Like, you know, we're, we're, we're behind them, and we need to get ahead of them. And so our president at the time, John F. Kennedy, challenged our nation to, as I quote, to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and retain, returning him safely to Earth. I'm using that word return, following up with the last Saturday of the Easter conference. It took eight years and three NASA programs, Mercury, Gemini, and Apollo, but the United States got to the moon. Great picture of it there. In three and a half years, 12 astronauts made it to the moon. But as we kept going forward into this, this space exploration, oh, within that, but it wasn't without sacrifice. In 1967, when a journalist asked what would make Apollo 1 successful, Gus Grissom, astronaut Gus Grissom, unsmilingly retorted that getting his men home alive was enough. Because they had had real problems with that spacecraft. They were very, very concerned about that. It was a great risk because of some of the manufacturing things that just weren't going well. But they didn't have a chance to return because they never left as the rocket caught fire on the launch pad. And tragically, the three, three astronauts, Gus Grissom, Ed, Ed White, and Roger Chafee, They never had a chance to return back to Earth safely because of some design flaws that caught up with the NASA program. Well, years later, after reaching the moon, the next goal is to make space flight in a reusable vehicle. That's what they said as we were going through the, the shuttle deal. That's the next deal. How can, we, how can we have a reusable vehicle so that we can go into space and we can do these experiments, learn more about how Life takes place up there for those that would go, and they developed the space shuttle. As the space shuttle developed, and then we know what happened in 1983, as the Columbia was coming back, re-entering Earth's atmosphere. David Brown, Rick Husband, Laurel Clark, Kapana Charlie, Michael Anderson, William McCool, Island Ramon, 
tragically died when their shuttle exploded, coming back into their descent into earth. On their return, tragedy for these noble and exceptional, dedicated, talented, and superbly trained men and women. Many of us remember that day in 1983. But before these, there were others that gave their lives and didn't get to return to their families. Five martyrs in 1943 to the IRA tribe in Bolivia. Dave Bacon, Bob Dye, Cecil Dye, George Hosford, Eldon Hunters. They were told as they were trying to go to this tribe that they knew was very, very difficult to reach, very dangerous. They knew that they might not return. And people said that to them. You will not return. The New Tribes effort, New Tribes missions at that point in time, their motto, their mission was this, that their efforts are going to be directed toward those fields where no other missionary effort is being made and where no witness of the gospel is yet reached. People asked these five men, why go and risk your lives? And Cecil Dye said this, it is because the glorious name of Jesus is not known here. It must be made known at any cost that we are going. I don't believe we care so much whether this expedition is a failure so far as our lives are concerned, but we want God to get the most possible glory from everything that happens. They said this, and they left. If you don't hear anything from us in a month, you can come and make a search for us. They didn't hear anything for a month. And they went and searched, and it took months to find them. And they found their eternal home. It was a bittersweet moment. I'm quoting from some things I've read. When these Aka relatives, the Aka Indians, or the IRA Indians, I'm sorry, accepted the blame as their own, they told Audrey Bacon, wives. We are sorry we killed your husband. We didn't know him. And then they waited for a response from her. Can you imagine being Audrey? Years later, when the people that killed your husband say we didn't know better. How does one respond to that? In and of ourselves, it would be hard to come up with a good response. But God bringing beauty from the ashes wasn't limited to the irony. He turned the ashes of grief to something beautiful, the hearts focused on him. And she said this, It was worth my husband's death to see you come to know Jesus Christ. Because those wives went back into that tribe. That's the tribe my aunt went to. Years later, Jesus. They follow Jesus. These people were willing to go. The Aka tribe in Ecuador, the Ladoni, as they're called. Five missionaries, Jim Elliott, Pete Fleming, Ed McCulley, Nate Saint, Roger Yadorian. They got a lot more press in 1956. 
But the same questions were asked. Why would these men give up their lives? These guys are all brilliant, brilliant guys. Presidents of Wheaton College, their, their senior class. Great wrestlers, great orators. These guys were top, top notch. Ed McCulley said, I have one desire now to live a life of reckless abandon for the Lord, putting all my energy and strength into it. Nate Singh said, During the last war, speaking of World War II, we were taught to recognize that in order to obtain our objective, we had to be willing to be expendable. Yet when the Lord asks us to pay, the price for world evangelization, we often answer it costs too much. God didn't hold back his only son. At great cost, Jesus came. And Jim Elliot, the famous statement that you can see kind of highlighted there bottom right. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. You're not a fool to give your life to him because you're going to lose your life to get his life that you'll never lose. You're not a fool to do that. And they weren't fools to do that. Some would call him a fool. Beautiful song by Dwight of Paris about that. He was no fool. They weren't fools. They gave their all. They gave their all because Jesus gave his all. You see that the space shuttle people, they, they had a noble purpose. They have a noble noble purpose, very definite. But it's a higher purpose, and that's Jesus Christ. To help people come to know Jesus Christ, to know what life really is like, eternal life, an abundant life, a new life. It comes because of this. Greater love has no one than this. Then he would lay down his life for his friends. This is how we know love. How? Because he laid down his life for us. That's love. The greatest of love. This morning. Jesus is your vision. Bring down my vision. If Jesus is our vision, it's easy to turn our eyes upon him. But if he's not, is it a part-time gig? Yeah, maybe. That's not what he asks of us. You know, he even called us to go to Doc Indians or the IRA still here. I can see that. But he calls some. But he calls all of us as believers in Christ to identify with him and say, you gave your all. I need to give my all to you. And that's what he's asking of us today. We think about what he did for us. So we think about these 40 days of focus. He's asking us, I want your all. I don't want part time. I want your all. You're not going to be perfect in it. No. He understands that. John 2, 1. If we sin, we have an advocate. He loves that. He loves my all. 
Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. That's what he asks of us. And he does it because he gave it to us. He showed us the way. As we close, just sing with me. Turn your eyes upon Oh.